Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The tribulation period, you know, there's a, a big question among people in regard to the end times. And the question is, when is the rapture in relation to the tribulation? Is it before the tribulation? Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it at the end of the tribulation? Is it sometime between the beginning and the middle of the tribulation? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 26 through 30. Now here's Pastor Brian. You just know that God is speaking to you. And what do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do with it. You grab hold of it and you claim it and you say, yes, Lord, I believe this. And when somebody comes along and says, oh, that's about, that's about Judah coming back from the Babylonian captivity. That's not for you. You say, well, yeah, yeah, I know it's about that, but it is about me too, because it's a promise for God's people. And we're going to take it and we're going to stand on it. There are times when we might just go through and we look at a passage and think, well, that's a great passage. I want to claim that for myself. And perhaps in some cases, that application isn't there for us. There have been people that have been mistaken about certain applications at times. But in my experience, the Holy Spirit is the one who impresses things on our hearts. You know, I, I can read certain promises of God at certain times and just, you know, I read them and I'm like, yep, that was for Israel there. That was for Judah there. That was for somebody there. That was for somebody else over there. And, you know, it, it just kind of passes right by me. But then other times I'm reading and I can look at a, a text and all of a sudden it's like, this text is speaking to me. This is, this is calling out my name. This is saying, Brian, this is for you. This is my word to you. Grab hold of it. Believe it. Stand on it. And... We all can do that, and we should do that. But looking at it from more of a, of a personal standpoint, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Man, those are just such great words, aren't they? God's thoughts and his plans for us are good. That's always true. God's thoughts and plans for us are good. And his thoughts are of peace and not of evil. And his intentions are to give us a future and a hope. And every Christian can bank on that. Every Christian can just say, that is absolutely true. Now, I might not know exactly how that works itself out or what that looks like, but I can know that ultimately that is true. And so I rest in that. But then as we go on, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So then there's that that exhortation there. And I have received this as a word from the Lord many times as well. 
just that that prompting from the Spirit to seek me and, and to seek me with all your heart. And you know, as we are moved by God's word to do this, you know that the intention of God is to bring about those, um, those good thoughts that he has for us, those thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give us a future and a hope. And he says here then to them, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. So they're going to be brought back then at that time from their captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. You know, on a, again, on a more personal note, sometimes Christians find themselves because of sin and disobedience, they find themselves in captivity. You know, there, there have been many people who have been in bondage to sin, deep bondage to sin. They've come to Christ. They've been freed from that bondage. There's been a glorious liberation. They might go on from, for some years with, with just this absolute freedom. And then through, you know, processes of, of beginning to look back on the good old days or heart getting a little bit hardened, dabbling with a little bit of sin here and there. Pretty soon what happens is you start to drift back, drift back, and then one day you might wake up and find yourself, you're all bound up again. You're all chained up again. What what happened? I was free from this stuff. How, how am I back here again? What is the solution? Well, the solution is you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then I will turn back your captivity. Because the reason we get to that place is because we've stopped seeking the Lord. That's what happens. You know, our lives are like a a plot of ground. And, you know, what you have to do with a plot of ground is you have to constantly be if you're if you're going to plant anything in it and if you want it to be fruitful you've got to constantly be tending to that right because it's naturally going to bring up weeds and briars and thorns and those kinds of things they that's what naturally grows there that's what naturally grows in inside of us and out from our hearts and so if we stop tending to our hearts through the discipline of seeking the Lord and his word, through the discipline of prayer, through obedience. If we stop doing that, then those weeds begin to to grow and to infest the garden again and to choke out the fruit. Jesus told us that story in the parable. So this is how we prevent that, or this is how we reverse that. We seek the Lord with all of our hearts. And as we do that, we are then freed up. But we have to keep that that pattern going. We have to keep that consistency up. Because know that even though we have a new nature as Christians, we still possess the fallen nature that's always looking for an occasion to get the upper hand on the spirit. And the way to prevent that is to just keep seeking the Lord. Just make that... This is what you do with your life. You seek the Lord and God's promise. He will turn back our captivity or keep us from going back into captivity. And so 
as we go on here in 29 over to verse 15. Because you said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send on them the sword, famine, and so again, God's pronouncing that the, the final judgment is going to come upon the king and the people in Jerusalem. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So these false prophets that are in Babylon prophesying against what God has said, Nebuchadnezzar evidently took them and roasted them in the fire. Now, verse 24, you shall also speak to Shemaiah, the Nehalamite, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, and you should put him in prison and in the stocks. So this guy, Shemaiah, he sends a letter to Jerusalem saying, Hey, I'm the new priest, I'm in charge. And anyone who says he's a prophet in Jerusalem, you need to put him in prison. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, the captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat fruit. So this guy's in Babylon writing a letter back to Jerusalem saying, I'm in charge. Now, you guys, you need to arrest Jeremiah and put him in jail because he's prophesying lies. So Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send to all those in captivity saying, thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehelamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, And I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah, the Nehemalite, and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. So God is just dealing with all of these false prophets, whether they're in Jerusalem or Babylon. So that brings us now to chapter 30. And in chapter 30, chapter 30 is really interesting because we have in chapter 30 a reference to this period known as a time of Jacob's trouble. And so this 30th chapter is really a projection out again into the future and not just to the time of Jacob's trouble, which we'll see in a moment what that is, but beyond that, 
to the reign of David sitting once again upon the throne. And so the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, write in a book for yourselves all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. So notice here, it's Israel and Judah. So remember, everything we're dealing with is Judah. Israel's long gone. They've been already led into captivity, taken captive by the Assyrians in 721 BC. So over 100 years ago, Israel basically just was no longer a nation. So Judah has now remained, but Judah is about to go into captivity. But here the Lord is saying that he is going to bring them both back together. And this, of course, is part of the prophecy for the future of Israel, that when God brings them back together under the Lord, they will no longer be two nations. They will be one nation. So Israel and and Judah, that distinction will, will be done away with. And so here he's talking about bringing the both of them back. So verse five, for thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? So here is a a description of people in extreme distress. Men doubled over in pain as though they were women in labor. And so verse 7 tells us what this is. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble, another name for that is, the New Testament refers to it as the tribulation period. So... The tribulation period, you know, there's a a big question among people in regard to the end times and different theological positions. Among people who believe that there is a rapture, which we are among those people, the question is, when is the rapture in relation to the tribulation? Is it before the tribulation Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it at the end of the tribulation? Is it sometime between the beginning and the middle of the tribulation? So these are four different theological positions. And we hold to the pre-tribulational view, meaning that we believe that the church will be removed from the world before the tribulation begins. And one of the arguments for that position is when we consider what the purpose of the tribulation is. And when you think about the purpose of the tribulation, you you realize the church doesn't fit into any of those purposes. 
So the purpose of the tribulation is to, number one, punish the world for its evil. Isaiah 13 tells us that. The day of the Lord comes, fierce anger, wrath. It's going to lay the land low, lay the haughty low. It's going to make a, a human being more rare than fine gold. So he's, I come out of my place, the Lord says, to punish the world for its iniquity. So that's happening during the tribulation. Of course, the big sin would be the rejection of Christ. But the church surely hasn't rejected Christ. So it doesn't seem that, again, the church would have a place there. But another thing that is often overlooked is the tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time that is specifically designed by God to bring the nation of Israel to their knees, to humble themselves and to call out to him for salvation. And this time of Jacob's trouble is referring to that period because that's a major part of what's going on during those seven years. It's a specifically directed toward the Jews. And Daniel put it this way, or the angel put it this way to Daniel, when the power of the holy people is completely shattered, then everything will be accomplished. So this age-old resistance of the Jewish people to the Lord, their God, and specifically in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. It's during this time of trouble, this time of Jacob's trouble, that they will call out to the Lord. And so that's why it says this. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. He shall be saved out of it because they will call on the Lord. And Jesus said this. Remember, just before everything was completed with Jesus, some of his final ministry to the nation, he said, regarding the temple, he said, your house is left to you desolate. In other words, the temple is going to be desolated. And then he said this, and you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the outcome of the time of Jacob's trouble. In their trouble, they will cry to the Lord Jesus and he will save them out of their trouble. So it's just interesting that this is in Jeremiah because, you know, Jeremiah, although there's allusions to the the final stage of history and the very end, like we're seeing here when God, you know, brings everything together and the Lord establishes his kingdom, that there's not much of that in Jeremiah. There's just these little little glimmers here and there, and this is one of them. So, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. Listen to this, verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So here's a reference to David their king. And, of course, that's a reference to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was here during the time of his public ministry, you remember how oftentimes people would cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The son of David was a messianic title. And so here the prophet is speaking of 
David their king. It's not David literally. David, of course, died and was buried many centuries before this. But this is the son of David who's being referred to here. And so, therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. And so just through the remainder of the chapter, um, again, he's talking about the, the condition of the people, but talking about the the ultimate restoration that's going to come. Verse 22, you shall be my people and I will be your God. And then the final verse, verse 24, the last part, in the latter days, you will consider it. So these promises are all yet ahead for the nation. God's promise to restore. Now, when we move into chapter 31 and 33, again, this theme is going to be carried on and and God's going to be talking about the new covenant that he makes with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, a covenant that we have actually partaken of, even though the nation hasn't yet, we have partaken of it. But also in those chapters, God speaks about the everlasting uh, nature of his covenant that he has with Israel. And there's two passages, one in 31 and one in 33, that are, I think, you know, very clearly passages that state that the nation of Israel has a future place in the plan of God. And that the only way that that couldn't happen is if the sun and the moon and the stars disappeared. God says, if if they disappeared, then maybe my covenant with Israel could be broken. But in other words, God is just, He's using the strongest terms possible to let everybody know I have a permanent relationship with these people. Now, I say that and we'll get more into it later because, you know, there are those within the church who would say that God finished with the Jewish people and all of the promises that were intended for the Jewish people. Once they rejected all of those promises, then were Concentrated in Jesus, and all those promises are fulfilled through the church. And so, another way to describe this idea is a replacement theology, where the church has now replaced Israel in the plan of God. And so, these promises are not going to be literally fulfilled by Israel, but they're spiritually fulfilled by the church. I think that's just really a poor way of interpreting the Bible. And I think it's the wrong way of interpreting the Bible. And so, but we'll talk much more about that when we get to those passages. But remember this. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so let's call on the Lord. Let's let's seek him. Let's seek him with all of our hearts so that we can find him in the ways that He wants to reveal himself to us and in the ways that we need to 
have him revealed to us. For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.